Hey everyone, it's Mike. I'm here for one last episode of our summer series. This time we're giving you a sneak peek into our latest Patreon series, A Better Batmobile. This is Paul's baby. This is the series that Paul has been thinking about for many, many years. Uh, there's a preamble in the show notes to explain everything about how Paul came to this series, uh, everything that Paul wanted to cover, and all of the guests and, and comic books that we're going to be reading. Since this series focuses on Grant Morrison's run of Batman, everything that they did from the 80s up until the later 2000s, uh, it's a full run of everything. We broke it down into a couple of episodes. This is the first episode. Me and Paul are talking about some of Morrison's earliest Batman original work and it's a pretty fun time so if you dig this you want to listen more head over to patreon.com slash ircb podcast subscribe and you can get the rest of the series right now enjoy hello patreon patrons welcome to the very first episode of a better batmobile i'm your host paul jacely joined in stately Wayne Manor by Mike Rappin. Hello. Welcome, Mike. Um, I'm very excited for this show. Um, for those of you who have just clicked on this without knowing anything about it, this is our new limited Patreon-only series we're doing, which will be a very close deep dive into the Batman comics written by Grant Morrison, spanning uh, a lot of years. Um, we're starting off with some comics from the late 80s, early 90s. We're going to be reading their Batman work Um bulk of it from the sort of early 2000s and uh these are comics that are really important to me they mean a lot to me personally because um they're my favorite character written by my favorite comic book writer and uh i thought you know it'd be, it'd be a good time to go back reread them kind of dive dive deeper into them pick out some of the interesting ideas trace them i think it tells a big overarching story that i find very fascinating and uh figured i'd have some of my friends over at ircb join me um I'm very curious to hear what you all think about these Batman comics. So uh, welcome, Mike. I'm happy to be doing this first episode with you. Yeah, man, I'm I'm really excited to to see where this whole series goes because given the schedule that you've put together and everything, which by the way, for anyone interested, it's on the Patreon. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. It'll be in the link to all the episodes in case you're curious. Um, but yeah, all the books that that everyone's going to be reading put together by Morrison is. <laughs> is wild because it's some comics I've read, some comics I haven't. And yeah. uh, I very much look forward to reading all of these books and following this series, even though I'm going to be on a couple of them myself. But this is sure. a it's a huge endeavor, and I'm really excited to see where the whole series goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like I said, we're starting off with some uh, some earlier versions of Batman. Um, should briefly mention, since we're being very specific and very detail-oriented here for the most part, um, technically these aren't the first Batman comics that Graham Morrison wrote. Um, uh, they wrote a three-page Batman story that was published in the 1986 Batman Annual that only came out in the United Kingdom. It's a three-page story. It's all prose, and I think it's about Catwoman. As far as I know, it's never been collected and republished uh, physically or digitally, So, it's, but you can find it online if you're curious about reading it. Um, so yeah, that's technically the first Batman comic Morrison wrote. Uh, we're going to be focusing on two... Uh, earlier books that they wrote. Uh, first one is Batman Arkham Asylum, or as it was originally titled, Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth. Again, <laughs> written by Morrison with art by Dave McKean, letters by Gaspar Saladino, and it's cover dated November 1989. And then we'll also be reading Batman Gothic, which is a six issue, is that right? Five issue series uh, written by Morrison, art by Klaus Janssen, 
Colors by Steve Buccoletto, Letters by John Costanza, originally published as Batman Legends of the Dark Knight issues 6 through 10. That's from April to August 1990. So these are very early comics in Morrison's career. At that time, they had just started working on Animal Man and Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Karen Berger obviously saw a lot of promise in Morrison's work and let him let them uh, take the keys to the Batmobile, so to speak, and write these two uh, pretty big, important comics uh, at the time. Yeah. What's really interesting is, you know, uh, Arkham Asylum, which is one we're going to start with here. That's a book that was published as a standalone 120 page collection it was in bookstores not just in comic shops and it came out just after the summer of the bat signal you know after tim burton's batman movie could you imagine going to the store after seeing the tim burton batman film like i want to read some batman comics and picking up this book you know what i mean that must have blown your mind (laughs) i i feel like i would have been actually terrified and i would have it would have put the burton movie in a different perspective yeah um because arkham asylum is an incredibly terrifying comic book like i (laughs) was glad that i read it during the day (laughs) just say that (laughs) yeah um i'm sure if you're listening to this you've already read it but if not uh it's a very interesting book it's plays on the idea of I don't know, dreams and psychoanalysis of the character. Um, Dave McKean's artwork is, it's paint, it's mixed media, collage, it's all over the place. It doesn't really look at all like a Batman comic, specifically mm-hmm. a Batman comic coming out in 1989. Um, you know, I don't know, the. I read my uh, paperback cover, paperback version, this 15th anniversary edition that I've had for a while, um, and that has annotations from Morrison in the back. Um, mm-hmm. with along with the full script mm-hmm. and at one point in the annotations morrison says an early version of the script had robin as a character and dave mckean basically said that drawing batman was already enough um was already violating his artistic integrity enough that he couldn't bring himself to draw robin so to cut <laughs> it from the book so that gives you a sense of what dave mckean's bringing to the table he barely even draws batman like yeah, Batman just kind yeah. of appears as a shadow in most of the book yeah, this was such an interesting read because at first, like, I mean, I know I said, like, yeah, this this would have recontextualized, I think, the Burton film. But I also think, like, this wasn't a story so much about Batman so much as it was about, like, the mysticism of Arkham and, yeah. like, the the character that is the asylum itself, which I, I thought was, like, a really fascinating way to approach a story like this where Batman kind of shows up and gets into this bargain with the Joker and... Yeah. the that story is playing out alongside of this history of the Arkham Asylum, how Arkham, the the guy, whatever his name is, I can't remember his full name, but um, you know, he's establishing this, this asylum because of a series of events that led him to sort of go crazy himself and like his own sadness and despair, whatever kind of drove him to madness, I guess. But um, I, I was so blown away that this is like the Arkham book that people are like, if you're going to read an Arkham Asylum comic, this is the one because <laughs> yeah. this really didn't feel like a Batman story so much as it felt like a periphery story that happens to feature the Batman, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's it's a really good comic. You know, it's not one I revisit very often, um, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed going back and to re- reread it. Um, and it leads into some bigger ideas we're going to unpack as we go through these comics as the course of the series where – it functions as a psychoanalyst, a psychoanalysis of Batman as a character. Like mm-hmm. he's confronting his own inner demons, somewhat literally, 
um, that are embodied by his his rogues gallery. Yeah, and uh, you know, very briefly, I should say. Uh, the associationism with the Burton the Burton film was good for this comic because it, it to date it sold six hundred thousand copies, so it was a huge success. Established Morrison as one of the most success, successful comic writers of their time and still to this day. And I remember some interview where I think they said that you know if he got a buck, part of his deals it could basically worked out to a dollar for every copy that was sold in Holy royalties. Smokes. So very lucrative for him to write this book at that time. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that they like. <laughs> I don't know how you strike a deal like this with a book with a book like this, right? <laughs> yeah, because this yeah. doesn't feel like a direct sequel. This doesn't feel like like I I, I said that it's re- it felt related before, um, and I say it again, but it also feels like I, it's such a strange thing to focus a story on for the time, um, yeah. and to to hear that they got that sort of deal. <laughs> It's mind blowing. I mean, and this yeah. is before Loot Crate, right? Like, I know right. that's like an old tired joke, but the fact that a comic like this was selling six hundred thousand copies not only says that, you know, I think we talked about Batman in the past, and I know you've said it on other podcasts that the world was in like a Batmania after the yeah. Burton film. Like, this is proof. Like, even comic books were selling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone wanted more Batman stories, and yeah. Morrison yeah. delivered. And uh, you know, again, this is a unique one. I think. Um, it also helps that, you know, Karen Berger is the editor. This is just before Vertigo is even a thing. So, mm-hmm. but there's still a market for more, you know, adults takes on comic characters and comic mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. Still writing the success of Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. So it oh, kind of right. makes sense for the time. Yeah. Um, and it, because it doesn't have an incontinuity, it's essentially the story is a dream. So the events of the, the story don't really affect mainstream Batman, Batman continuity at the time at all. Right. So. And that's why when you read this comic, it feels like Morrison has cast a spell on you and now it's too late because <laughs> um, that's what I took away from the whole book. <laughs> you know, I got to say this whenever I read this book um, and a lot of Morrison stuff and a lot of uh, Alan Moore stuff, not that we always need to talk about the both of them, you know, at the same time, but sure. Whenever I'm reading their work, it's like, I wish I knew more about tarot cards because that seems to be pretty <laughs> darn important to a lot of this stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. So much of the imagery and the symbolism. And this is a book that's just loaded with symbolism. It, it would take a, a series unto itself to unpack all of the little clues and hints and imagery that Morrison and McKean are laying in here. But mm-hmm. I kind of just want to focus on the idea of it being a story where Batman you know, is confronting their own you know, mental baggage so to speak mm-hmm. and that becomes a recurring theme in all of morrison's batman work right and right. what's really interesting is this story you know it starts off with batman being summoned to the police station uh the hostages uh, the uh, uh patients i should say at arkham are uh have taken some of the uh doctors hostage they've taken over the asyl- asylum and uh the joker has asked for batman specifically to come and then uh the story is batman going into arkham and he confronts a series of villains all of whom seem to reflect an aspect of batman's personality and by the mm-hmm. end of the story you have a different batman he feels different than he did at the beginning of the story and it's almost like this idea of like morrison saying batman has to confront all this baggage confront his own you know, mental issues and he'll emerge stronger and more confident at the end. And that's literally what the story is about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, so I, what I think is great is that it takes that idea of Batman is quote, just as crazy as his villains or just as crazy as the Joker. That's a pretty standard, well-worn story idea. Mm-hmm. I just like that Morrison takes it to the next step and say, well, let him confront that. 
let's address that. And at the end, you know, whatever, if it is a dream or if it is real, like Batman will have emerged from that stronger. And then the Batman we see at the end of this book is closer to the Batman that Morrison writes in JLA in the 90s and that they write in the rest of the books we'll be talking for the series. Like Mm -hmm. he kind of has to go through this process to arrive at the Batman that they want to write in their comics. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did appreciate the, you know, the the commentary, I think, on like the old troper. Maybe it's old hat now, like because we've had so many people think about Batman as a character over the last 30, 40, 50 years. You know, that idea of Batman is just as bad as the people he puts away. But I do think that the final handful of pages of this this uh, this tome of (laughs) comics, because that's what I'm going to call it, because it's it's not it's not a comic. It's not a book. It's a tome um, is that. Batman is different enough, right? In that he he has all of the same, you know, you if you stack things up on a piece of paper, um Batman looks exactly like all of the inmates of of Arkham, but at the end of the day he's not because he has a sense of justice, right? Yeah. And he has a sense of of at least understanding right and wrong and preferring to choose right. Now, of course, we're going to talk about Batman Gothic and yeah. I have some thoughts on that. <laughs> but okay. also like I do think that there is uh, a Batman and you can even see it in like some of the more recent Batman films um, where Batman is a little crazed is a little bit insane is still carrying a lot of this heavy weight from from the baggage that they've had their whole life and uh, you can see it in like Nolan's Batman right Christopher Nolan's Batman where he you see that Batman is still extremely devastated by his parents death I mean that's the through line for every single Batman writer forever in eternity um, yeah. but even in the end of Batman Begins he lets Ra's al Ghul die like he's not going to kill him he's not going to put a gun to his head and shoot him but he's also not going to save him right there's a little bit right. of like vengeance that's still there you know <laughs> and you can see uh, some there's some craziness to that because if you sit back and you go would a, would a regular person do that the answer is probably not you know right. you would be you'd be traumatized by this and i think that <laughs> batman's trauma is overwhelming to the point where all new sorts of trauma just don't affect him in a, in a lot of ways and is that is that the definition of a sociopath is that the definition of something else <laughs> i don't know but batman is still on the side of the right in just and just in some ways right so yeah. i don't know and i think morrison really captured that by trying to reflect batman on all in 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 i guess comparison to these other characters throughout the arkham asylum book yeah um i just want to say like again there's a lot to unpack here some of which we're not going to touch on but if if, if you've not read the collector edition of this i assume most of the collector editions do have the full script um mm-hmm. But yeah, if you read the full script with Morrison's annotations, he they really do uh, point out that idea repeatedly. The the notion of you know Batman does have this trauma that affects him as a character, mm-hmm. and I think at one point in the annotations, Morrison says the reason he's not an inmate in Arkham is because he dresses up like a bat and does this. You know that gave him a purpose and a mission that maybe the, these inmates don't. You know, they're, right. they're on the same path, but, you know, Bruce Wayne chooses, I'm going to commit myself to becoming an idea, be, becoming a bat. And that kind of, that's what's keeping him out of Arkham, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. a really interesting take on the character. And again, part of that is the process of realizing that, and that kind of helps heal him in a way, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think the rest of the books we're going to read for this, this podcast series, we see Morrison keep returning to this idea of how can we separate the idea of Batman from Bruce Wayne's trauma 
mm-hmm. can you actually do that? And I think the answer is kind of surprising that Morrison arrives at, but yeah, this is kind of the first step in that, in that process, I think. Definitely. Um, other, other things I do want to talk about in this book, if, if you don't mind me oh. stepping in here, I, I do want to say, I respect the artistic choice of this. I know you said, uh, you know, Dave, uh, McKean was like, yeah, um, I can't believe I've even been drawing Batman in this book, yeah. but I do think that the elements that, that, he really tried to stylize of things that I think for Batman readers, old and young, um, are, were like that are kind of you know standard, like the Joker and the Riddler and stuff. Like his takes on all of these characters were extremely unique and definitive to the point where you can see how they carried through for like the next fifteen years. Like you can yeah. you can directly point I think at some aspects and depictions in this book and say this was Dave McKean's interpretation of the character and it carried through to, you know, future books and even modern books. Um, I think in specific, someone like, um, what is it? The Mad Hatter, I <laughs> think. Uh, I yeah. think his take that added like this level of like eloquence to the character. Um, I don't know. I In the handfuls of stories that I've read of, of, you know, with the Mad Hatter, it seems like that's been leaned into even more beyond just him being the crazy you know, cartoon character from the Alice in Wonderland of the Disney films. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the other one other piece that I did want to point out was, um, uh, or I guess two pieces. One, his take on Killer Croc, where he's basically <laughs> Godzilla, might yeah. be my favorite moment in this entire book. Uh, <laughs> and also, I think the end of the book where each character got to write in like a little blurb or something. And yeah. I can't remember the character's name. I can't believe I didn't write it down. But he was just like, I'm not crazy. I don't belong in here. Like, what are why am I still here? <laughs> I thought was a was a very fun uh, little bit. But, you know, like overall McKean's art, I think, you know, putting a book like this out, having it sell so well, having it become one of these definitive Batman books allows for, you know, paving the way for comic artists that I think we think are kind of commonplace, but also like extremely stylistic, like a Martin Simmons of Department of yeah. Truth or Ray <laughs> Fox or, uh, you know, there's a dozen other people out there that have these very, very different styles compared to, con- you know, contemporary comic art. Um, and it's comics like Arkham Asylum being so wildly successful that says, hey, man, we can actually do these types of stories in big two comics. It doesn't just have to be Fantagraphics and, you know, drawn in quarterly who are putting out these types of comics with art like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think, uh, you know, this is a time when, you know, the, the old the old trope of comics aren't just for kids anymore, but this is a good example of it. It's like you can mm-hmm. actually do some really high level, you know, mixed media type artwork and and a Batman story at the same time. And it doesn't mm-hmm. feel incongruous. You know, like it kind of makes sense. It reminds me of like, I don't know, this is a few years after the fact, but again, imagine buying the first issue of New Mutants that Wilson Kevich drew. Right. I mean, it must have been like, what is going on? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mind blowing. So, and what's great about the artwork is that it, Dave McKean's approach allows for there to be a lot of symbolism without being like really heavy handed. There's a lot of ideas mm-hmm. that are just implied, you know, and a lot of like things. If you really want to deep dive and say, like, uh, you know, like the use of the Joker fish keeps coming back and it's like the way they're positioned on the page. You know, it's a symbol for Pisces and you can mm-hmm. unpack that. What does that mean for the story? It's like, or you could just look at it and say it looks cool. You know, it's a nice way of uh, overlapping the symbolism along with just the story itself, you know, in a yeah. really Im- important way. You brought up Killer Croc and I think this is the first time Killer Croc is just shown as being basically a giant reptilian monster, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, it's very clearly uh, Batman stabs him with a um, a spear. So it's very quickly an obvious, an allusion to St. George slaying the dragon, which is an old, you know, Christian 
myth. Mm. So all this sort of uh, religious symbolism, tarot symbolism. Um, there's even a panel where Dave McKean overlaps Anthony Perkins' face from Psycho onto one of the inmates. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you're, you're even including pop culture. And like there are references to David Lynch films in this book. So it's like mm. just this melting pot of <laughs> rich symbolism and reference that is a lot to unpack. But I think that's what makes the story so appealing to go back and revisit. Yeah, definitely. I think that like I, I know that there's a ton of symbolism that like went over my head, like the, the yeah. tarot deck and stuff being kind of a, a crucial piece, I think, <laughs> um, to the whole story. But at the same time, I don't think that it detracted enough for me to say, like, I don't understand what was going on. Like, right. Very yeah. clearly, I, I could, you know, follow the story, um, despite some of my reservations I may have about font choice in this book. But um, <laughs> regardless, uh, it, yeah. it's, it didn't take away to not understand that stuff. And it's it's almost <laughs> like if you read this book once, it would actually it behoove you to go back and reread it multiple times in the future as you grow and learn. If you dig into any of these topics and then come back with that new lens to approach yeah. this story, I think it would add another layer and more layers and more layers. Um, rather than just getting like an annotated version, I think your own interpretation of some of the symbols that that Morrison was pushing on this book um, would be really interesting. I, I would love to have that sort of like, I don't know, time and energy to, to do that. But um, <laughs> even if you don't do that, I th still think there's value in reading this book because it's, it's, a, it's a pretty solid, like, interesting take on Batman that yeah. very much differs from what I think you would expect from a, I don't know, like a Batman book of the time. Like, I think if you looked at the, the collective Batman books that were probably coming out the same year, um, <laughs> this book was very different, <laughs> is my guess. Safe to say. Safe to say, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't know how many other Batman comics at the time were, you know, using Carl Jung's, you know, philosophy or psycho psychoanalysis to explain the character. So, true, 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 true. Um, I do want to focus on a couple of the villains that I thought were really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I think, again, we mentioned Doc Killer Croc. Um, the Maxi Zeus character, which is a character that in the comics was introduced as just being someone who thought they were a Roman emperor, you know what I mean? Just kind of a crazy person. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, it's implied that they went through um, electroshock therapy in Arkham and then suddenly they have like electricity powers and that's like never brought up again. This is the only comic in which that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> Some of those, one of those ideas Morrison had that no one followed up on. Sure. Sure. I enjoyed that. And then um, I, the uh, take on Two-Face was interesting. Part of the process to help heal Two-Face is that they oh, try to move him from a binary, you know, heads, tails choice to uh, die. So you roll a die and say, oh, now I have six choices. Suddenly it's a deck of cards or tarot cards, which is, I don't, again, I don't know enough. I to think know they how said many 72 options or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, it's like, they're going to do the I, the, the I Ching, which is this, you know, Chinese philosophy. And there's like, you know, thousands of different options if you go through that process. So, um, and it doesn't work. That's what I was mm -hmm. saying. At the end of the book, Actually, at the end of the story, you actually see Two-Face make their own choice, right? Yeah, he flips yeah. the coin and he says, heads or tails, Batman, if it's heads, he gets to leave. If it's tails, we kill him. He's like, oh, it's heads, he gets to leave. And then the reveal is that it actually was tails. Right. You know, and he chose the opposite path, you know? Yeah. I, I did. I, I thought that was probably the most interesting, like, little tidbit and take on, on some of the characters in this was... Yeah seeing that change in Two-Face where, you know, they the the psych, uh, psychologist is like, yeah, well, we're giving him more options. He now has multiple things he can choose from. And then, of course, Batman re sees right through this and says, yeah. no, but now you've paralyzed him with choice. Like, 
Two Face's <laughs> problem wasn't that he was living in a binary; it was that like he needed something to make the decision, and now he, having too many options is what is going to basically drive him insane. Because yeah. at, when we meet Two Face in the story, he's just a bumbling mess, um, which is so out of character. Like I love that exactly. that this little thing broke that that character down. I think Morrison really um, tried to show that that not all treatments right maybe this is me reading into it too much right like mm-hmm. it sometimes takes like a more careful eye to understand someone who is dealing with like a problem and it can't just be solved by fixing the most logical thing you know yeah. um i thought that was a really interesting take on that though yeah and again for for reading this as a dream that batman is having and he's seeing all these villains as reflections of himself uh, which is one of the one which is what the Mad Hatter literally says, you know, in mm-hmm. the book. In case you missed the point, you know, it's like um, two face. I mean, Batman is saying like, "Oh yeah, I I made this choice and I'm sticking with it to become Batman." Mm-hmm. You know I mean, and seeing that in Two Face, you know, that sort of hard and fast yes or no, right or wrong decision that's a reflection of, the, of himself. So, and again, right. I do. In case somehow you kind of miss the theme of the book. When if you're reading it, Mad Hatter spells it out explicitly when he says, perhaps it's in your head, Batman, Arkham is a looking glass and we are you. It's right there on the page. And I think, you know, that's something just as an aside, I want to say, um, you know, Morrison has a reputation for being somewhat um, uh, esoteric as a writer mm-hmm. um, of being obscure or confusing. I find maybe because I've read enough of their work, I find that very often they explicitly state what the comic is about. You know, yeah. in pretty plain terms, as long sure. as you kind of pay attention. So I think this is a good example of that. You can read this book and be kind of confused by what's going on. But here you have a character literally telling you what the theme of the book is. Point blank. <laughs> you know, sometimes this the messages that appear cryptic aren't cryptic at all, I think, is yeah. what it comes down to. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you know I think uh, we didn't really hint on it, but the idea that Morrison is also drawing a parallel between Amadeus, Arkham, and Batman, you know, we get a lot of the history of Arkham as a place, the history of Amadeus. He slowly goes insane after, you know, um, well, his parents are killed. His wife dies in a, from a heart attack. And we find out later in the story, she's terrified of a bat. So it's almost mm-hmm. idea of like Batman is projected backwards through time to like cause Arkham to exist, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's pretty wild. And then, uh, you know, he's driven, Amadeus is kind of driven crazy by um, his, uh, his wife and their daughter are being killed by a, uh, by a criminal. And then he goes in nuts and he's locked up and he writes this sort of binding spell that is holding Batman in Arkham. It's like, there's all this stuff is also going on on top of the story about Batman itself. You know, it's yeah. another layer to the whole thing. Which to me is funny because like this, the reason why I think people pick up this book is for the Batman story. But yeah. I do think that the Arkham story is very interesting. And quite honestly, I think McKean put more heart into that than he did the <laughs> Batman stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which which is really funny. But I, I did think that a lot of the pages that were drawn for the Arkham thing, while I couldn't in the, in the moment, couldn't figure out how it was all related. By the end, it becomes extremely clear how all the parallels kind of line up. Yeah. Um, I, I did think that that was some of the more beautiful pieces of the story, like McKean mm-hmm. drawing this this extremely hazy uh, and, and painting and, and collaging and all these different you know aspects for mixed media to try to tell this story. Um, I, I think putting that all together and trying to show this dreamlike state and then cutting back to Batman, which is supposed to be in the in the real world and heavy implied quotes, um, it, then to see that oh no, this is also kind of in a dreamlike state was like yeah. I don't know, it's just, it's just a made for a really overall 
beautiful, cohesive style for this book. I, I, I couldn't get over how, how well done some of the pages were. Um, even if I, I couldn't stand some of the, the, the various looks of the Joker. Um, overall, <laughs> I like really like the, the look of this book. I can't, I can't get over that fact. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the Joker, we should spend some time talking about that because it's oh, yeah. kind of like the, the main antagonist to the story. And of course, it's fairly obvious if you're going to have a Batman story that's big and important, you're going to have the Joker show up. Um, and there's a, a few things here that I think are really interesting. Uh, in the original script, you know, and in, in their annotations, Morrison says that the original relationship was much more one of sexual tension. Mm. Uh, and they mentioned that in the initial his in, in their initial script, Morrison wrote that the Joker should be dressed like Madonna, <laughs> you know, like um, <laughs> in like lingerie or something. Like it's very it's, to make the point even more obvious, you know. And there's the only hint of that we really get is there's a scene where Joker slaps Batman on the butt mm-hmm. and says, you know, like loosen up, you know, tight ass or something like that. Like it's there's a sexual tension that kind of feels like a little bit edge lord to me reading it, you know. 25 30 years later mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. um but i think that that relationship that morrison's hinting at here comes back later on in their work but it's not as explicitly sexual but in this story morrison introduces the idea of the joker not necessarily being insane but having a sort of super sanity oh my a gosh. fluid a fluid uh sort of uh personal identification that changes from moment to moment you know, not having a fixed personality, having a sort of hyper version of multiple personality disorder. You know, mm-hmm. so there's never you're never dealing with the same Joker more than once. It's constantly shifting and changing. And the idea of that being the best way to navigate our modern media saturated world is something that Morrison, you know, comes back to not just in Batman, but in a lot of their other comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of the this version of the Joker we don't see again. But the next time we see the Joker in Morrison's work uh, the characters change radically and it's, it's almost as if Joker is changing in response to Batman's changes as a character. Yeah. 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 That, that was the thing that I took away from that moment as the, the psychologist is explaining it was that the, ref- the reflection that we'd see of the Joker in any capacity is always of the moment. It's never a, a yeah. set defined thing. I know you kind of already said that, but I, I found that to be like a, a beautiful way to just, erase all the inconsistencies of that character while making them all valid you know and i think that's a thing that you know creators from the big two especially at dc i think more so than marvel are always trying to reconcile with um how do we make sure that we don't erase anything but also are allowed to create new and different ways to tell stories about these characters um, by drastically changing the characters but with like actual logical or you know cosmological (laughs) um ways to do things uh here in this case you know the joker being a a constant um in in batman stories forever um and ever changing based on however the artist or however the writer's feeling um (laughs) having this as like the backdrop for that to explain the next 30 years and the previous 30 um, is is just beautiful. I really, really enjoyed that. And it doesn't feel so out of line. It doesn't feel like no. it was a forced in- insertion thing. It, like, it falls right in line with everything that the ba- Batman stories are about, especially from like the 80s onward um, and just like this dark psychological blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's always been there as part of the Batman stories, at least in the, the stories that I know. And mm-hmm. so this, this totally fit. And I was like, man, that just fixes everything. I'm so mad <laughs> at how well that works, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's kind of a brilliant idea, you know? And it's, uh, again, it's, it serves two 
to uh two purposes right it can explain inconsistencies and continuity and it can open up more possibilities for future stories and i think that's yeah. something morrison does even with batman uh you know when morrison goes on to write the main batman title which is where we read the rest of the series it's like their approach is that every batman story is canon not mm-hmm. just in comics, it's every media adaptation that all happened to this character. And so the question after that is like, well, how much did that fuck him up? You know, if every Batman <laughs> story happened to him, yeah. not over the course of 80 years, but the course of like 15, 20 years, like what is the psychological effect of that? Mm-hmm. And that's a really, really interesting take on the character. And I don't think anyone else has really done that or have done that as well, you know? Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so yeah, that's Arkham Asylum again. I think that there's more to unpack there. I know I tend to have to agree with you, Mike. I think some of the uh, lettering choice uh, doesn't exactly read that well, especially in terms of the Joker. Well, but, all, um, all I want to do is find <laughs> uh, Gaspar Saladino and sit him down, really, really understand what they were thinking. Um, right. If only because I, I don't know if this is the first book to feature this font, but the fact that it was so prevalent, you know, like there's a font that they use for the Joker that's like this splotchy thing, and it works super well in a lot of moments, right? Like there are mm-hmm. exclamations that are great for this font. Anytime the font is actually big, it works yeah. really well. Um, <laughs> but I feel like this font was introduced, and I've seen it before, right? Like in other books yeah. that were published after this series. Um, and I just want to ask them if they know how much they have fucked up people's eyes um, <laughs> by introducing this font in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, a good point. I yeah. mean, it's, it was a little frustrating. I don't, I don't want to rag on it too much because it was, it does work, and it, I like the style that choice that they made to make the Joker's dialogue seem so much different. Um, but this font, as well as the cursive font that they've used, that DC has used in perpetuity. I don't know how long they've used it, but it, I've read it yeah. in like Batman Year One, um, the the Frank uh-huh. Miller book, and uh, plenty of other stories with this this cursive font that like you have to like squint at and like remember fourth grade and be like, what <laughs> is that an R or a K? I can't oh. remember. You know, yeah. uh, a little frustrating at times, but you know. If that's my only complaint, this book's pretty fucking solid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can deal with some font issues, uh, you know, in that regard. So, yeah. Um, so, again, if if this book is a deep dive uh, and psychoanalysis of Batman as a character, uh, the next book we're talking about, Batman Gothic, uh, it really feels radically different. It kind of just is a great Batman story. Mm-hmm. There's some... Um, symbolism stuff to unpack but for the most part it's just a good batman story and honestly it's one of my favorites i this is probably top five batman stories for me wow um and uh yeah i'm curious mike have you read this before or is this your first time reading gothic this is the first i mean most of this morrison's work is is pretty new to me but yeah this okay. is the first time i've i've read this and this is the first time i read arkham asylum too so oh, okay. like right, yeah. all yeah. new stuff for me gotcha uh, what I really, what I really like about Gothic is that again, this is um, in the fall of 1990 or the summer of 1990. Um, they had launched a series called Legends of the Dark Knight, which is supposed to be sort of out, out of continuity Batman stories, and had a rotating creative teams uh, writing little like stories that uh, you know about Batman at different time periods or points in their career. And uh, this again feels like the version of the character that leaves Arkham at the end of that story, steps into this story. He's he's not um, hesitant. He's fully committed to his mission. He's very confident. Um, he does a lot of great detective work in this story. And uh, it's a nice mix of a classic Batman story that has a lot of 
elements that kind of feel Silver Age, but at the same time, it's almost like a horror story. Mm-hmm. It focuses focuses on a character called Mister Whisper, who is this uh, you know supernatural type of character who shows up in Gotham and begins killing a number of the high level mafia gangster characters in Gotham to the point where they actually have to ask for Batman's help to get rid of this guy. It turns out it, that character, Mr. Whisper has a connection to Bruce Wayne's past and a connection that goes even further. And uh, what's great is that you see Batman in a ghost story, a horror story, completely unfazed by anything supernatural. He treats it just like any other mystery. And I love yeah, that. Yeah. You know, I I love that man. I I really was not a huge fan of the art to start on this book, okay. yeah. and but the more I read it, the more it started to work for me. Um, and especially near the end, I was like really vibing with it. And over, overall, I really liked like this. The story of this was almost the plot to the movie M. I don't know if you guys have <laughs> yeah have seen that, but uh, yeah, yeah. you know this the townsfolk and you know the villains of of a city have to round up a a. a someone who's done a crime that they all need to stop uh, because it's messing with their business, which I, I don't know. I really like that. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was wild. And to your point, you know, like I was, I was so impressed at how this felt just like a standard Batman story in a lot of ways, but if only because it hit every single thing that I would want and expect out of a Batman story, you've got exactly. detective work, you've got some weird mystical stuff. You've got Batman <laughs> beating guys up. You've got, you know, like Gotham city as a character playing into the story. You've got weird, wild, unexplained uh, mystery that unfolds itself and is somehow tied to Batman's past. And it all makes sense by the end. Like every yeah. single thing that you would want. I think Morrison nails the head on this nail that um, really captures what makes Batman's story good. Like for five issues, this is a fantastic read um of of Batman comics. I mean it's got the bat plane. As soon as you see the bat plane, I was like, yep, this is this is exactly what I want from Batman. Dude, story, I know? mean I the, the <laughs> moment that this book worked for me was when the gangsters turned on the upside down Batman signal and Batman gets yep. there and it's like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, like he's he <laughs> yeah. can't even believe that someone would would manipulate his his symbol like that. I mean, the whole this whole Batman character in this run is such a an interesting take on the character that you don't see in modern comics. Like this is very much yeah. of a specific era. This is a Batman who's angry, who hates mm. crime. He doesn't want to just stop crime. He is violent towards criminals, yeah. if only because he knows that that's at least at the time that this is the way for him to seek justice. Like he's still in a in a lot of ways very raw about the death of his parents. He's still very raw about just what crime has done to his city and mm-hmm. he doesn't try to figure things out and try to have a cool head about everything and be the person that has all the answers no he jumps down from rooftops and beats the living hell out of criminals because <laughs> that is the only way to stop them it's, it's a very simple-minded um yeah. character who still has all the capabilities of the batman that we know and love to, de- to do detective work and do all this other stuff but when he's when he's face to face with crime his first gut instinct is to just fight and hurt and i was so surprised by that because the most of the batman stories that i've read are modern and it's batman just oh i'm gonna put a trap here and he catches someone and he's too cool to actually care about like the you know foot soldiers that are on the ground but (laughs) man this was crazy like that that uh that iconic page of i am the king of hell like holy (laughs) shit what what comic book am i reading like yeah i was so floored by that it's pretty great you know he's he's 
tracks down a bunch of street toughs, you know, who are mugging somebody and he says, you've made Gotham hell and I'm the king of hell. It's such a great moment. It, mm-hmm. it really does almost feel out of character compared to a lot of like more contemporary Batman stories, you know, and maybe even at the time, like it, it's a very distinct version of the character. And like I said, when you get to see him, you know, fly the bat plane, or there's a moment later in the story where Mr. Whisper captures him and puts him in this sort of most insane Rube Goldberg oh my death God. trap. <laughs> And Batman just escapes. It's like, all right. Yeah. Like, you don't even see him escape. He just escapes off panel. And it's like, it's such an allusion to the <laughs> Batman TV show and Silver yeah. Age comics, but with a very distinct Morrisonian twist. It's one of my favorite moments in the whole comic. Oh, yeah. I, I did not understand what the point of all that was, but it was so <laughs> funny to think like, no, no, no. This is just how this villain's going to defeat Batman. He's going to light a candle underneath a string, which is going to drop an oil <laughs> bill for some reason. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was so funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, again, you don't even see Batman escape. You just see like the last panel is him like with the ropes, like, well, that was easy. Like yeah, it just, yeah. it's it's so great. Um I very briefly want to touch on the idea of how Morrison kind of changes Bruce's childhood in this story. You know, mm-hmm. so here we get the idea that this mobster or this person, this mysterious character, Mr. Whisper, who's killing all these uh, gangsters. I love the fact that you kind of hinted at it. The gangsters ask Batman for help and Batman's like, nah, I'm, I'm good. You don't deserve my help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're getting what you're getting what you deserve yeah, since the, you're criminals. I you grabbed know? some screen grabs from this and like there's a there's a panel just close up on Batman's face and he's like, clean. You can never be clean. Drugs, prostitution, protection, corruption, assassination. This city is sick. It's people are sick with fear. Now you know what it feels like. Like what? Yeah. Like he he <laughs> fucking hates these guys. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. Again, it's it's such a different take on this character than I think you would see in a modern Batman comic. Sorry, not to completely derail there, but no, I I don't want to make sure we mention that, that moment because I thought it was pretty great. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so Batman recognizes Mr. Whisper as being the sort of headmaster at a boys school that Bruce was sent to when he was very young, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't think this had ever been introduced. I think this is a, a new idea Morrison puts in this comic that, you know, Bruce was sent away upstate to go to this like boarding school and, um, he had repressed the memory because it was so traumatic, if maybe more traumatic than his parents being killed, right? Because mm-hmm, he completely represses mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, it, the older boys in the school were tormenting the younger boys. There was uh, there, uh, there's hints at sort of sexual abuse. Mister Whisper, I can't remember what is the name that he used at that point um, for that character, but they um, it, it's implied that that character was molesting boys and actually killed one of bruce's friends because mm-hmm. bruce like goes to their office for punishment and uh, he sees his best friend's like head in the trash can under the yeah. desk yeah it's really creepy stuff <laughs> it's really disturbing at points it's, it's like straight out of a horror movie like yeah like his his buddy had must must have died like the day before and his head was still in the trash like yeah so surreal right yeah but it's also the idea of like since Bruce was so young when it happened, how much of it was a, something he made up or dreamt yeah. since he was yeah. a kid, how much it really happened. And even as an adult, he's like, well, I don't can't remember exactly. All he remembers is his father going to confront um, this Mr. Whisper character, mm-hmm. uh, the headmaster, and getting him fired, right? Yeah. So Batman has a connection. And of course, when, they, when Batman confronts Mr. Whisper, Mr. Whisper recognizes him as Bruce, as the kid. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the on top of it being a very 
solid Batman story of Batman doing Batman stuff. You have this horror movie element on top of it. And on top of that, you find out that Mr. Whisper is actually 300 years old because he was a monk, you know, in Germany who made a deal with the devil to not die from the plague. You know, it's the story gets bigger and bigger as it goes. (laughs) When you get to that point where Batman is like flying to Germany to go to this, you know, (laughs) this ancient church to find this this clue, it's like, what am I reading? But like you said, it all kind of works and makes sense. Like it all fits together. It doesn't feel that out of character given the scope of the, the story itself. Yeah, I mean, and again, this is where like the detective work piece of the story comes in and it actually like really clicked for me like i i like you like out of context describing this whole batman goes to germany it's like why the fuck would he what what is happening right (laughs) um but no like as you're reading the story like it totally fits and every beat gets its actual deserved moment to to build up this mr whisper which to me Mm -hmm. built up the suspense and the tension of the character like we get this idea that mr whisper has like immortal or whatever but you know as superhero readers we hear that stuff all the time so like there isn't like a oh he's special because of that it's like no there is this very dark disturbing past that exists behind this character and that is the thing that should be scary um and the fact that bruce finds all this out and says like yeah whatever i'm just gonna go bring this guy to justice um after figuring out all things and understanding how he can defeat him um it all works because if Batman had just been like, no, don't worry, I've got a 300 year old man repellent. Don't I'll just spray it on him. You know, that's not <laughs> yeah. nearly as fun uh, not right. to poke fun at the Batman show. But you know what I mean? Right. Um, like, yeah. I think that there is a lot of a lot of stories that we read now today uh, um, that are written about Batman where he just kind of already has all these solutions and it's not nearly as earned in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. If we hadn't taken yeah. the whole issue of Batman going to Germany and reading about this stuff, hearing the story from the woman about the plague and how the monks survived and hearing Mr. Whisper's perspective on how that all happened as well, like none of that would have felt as as is worth it as a reader because the Mr. Whisper character would have just been some knockoff, whatever character that could have been one and done in an issue. And instead he gets this whole arc to build up not only his own past, but also the tie in with Bruce's past, which like, how does this guy go from Germany to running a headmaster or like a school as a headmaster? I don't know. Does it really matter? Not really because ultimately he's killing kids and that's where Batman's got to be like, well, you could sell your soul to the devil, but as soon as you start, you know, killing people, that's where I draw the (laughs) line, you know? Um, I, yeah, I thought it, I thought it all worked. I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, no, it makes sense because you know it, it, the bottom line. You know, it, he, Mr. Whisper is just another supervillain who's going to unleash the bubonic plague on Gotham in order to. You know, <laughs> oh right, you know, <laughs> that's you why know, he that's came to Gotham. Like, I forgot. Yeah, that's like the that's the big supervillain plot. But then you add this other layer of like, well, that's in order for him to collect enough souls in the cathedral of Gotham Cathedral because it's Gothic architecture. Mm-hmm. You know, to to make a bargain with the devil so he can be immortal forever. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, I mean. I love it because it's a good example of uh, Morrison Morrison's ability to make these types of big, mind-bending stories in the context of a superhero story. Right. Like it doesn't really feel like we were saying it doesn't feel that outrageous. It just you're kind of just when I'm explaining it, it feels more wild than when I, when I was reading it. You right. know what I mean? Oh yeah, and I mean in in that same vein, like I, I love that Morrison was still finding ways to insert their own kind of play on bending the world around their magical ideals, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. 
I, I think like if you read anything about Morrison, uh, I think you'll probably know that they are very much in tune with like the magical uh, ritual of chaos magic and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Like if you read any of their other work, like the Invisibles and stuff, supposedly that's like a chaos ritual all in itself, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you read that yeah. series. So um, I love that in this book, even then there was a moment where Batman was like, you know, back in the day, the, the word gothic actually used to wean used to be goeth which also means magic it's like so you're saying that like gothic architecture is magic architecture like and he's drawing these parallels just by little bits and lines and stuff um <laughs> like when I, I also clipped a bit out of this book um in our doc that is batman talking to alfred um where he says i wish i knew a little bit more about sacred geometry my reading on the subject <laughs> is woefully adequate and it's like why is that even necessary and it's it's not that it's not necessary. It's that it adds this mystical layer to Batman stories in a way that feels in line with all the actual storytelling itself. It doesn't feel inserted. It feels Batman. It feels like Batman's doing research. He finds out about this thing. All the lines start to connect up. He's doing his detective work, which justifies all of the crazy magical stuff that becomes a core to this entire story. But it doesn't feel out of left field because Batman discovered it. You know, um, right. I, I really like yeah. the way that that was all sold into the story to weave it together without it feeling like uh, forced, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, as I said earlier, the idea that this is the version of Batman that emerges, that walks out of Arkham Asylum, you know, mm-hmm. a more confident and self assured Batman. And then here we have. You know, after this book, I think the next time Morrison tackles Batman is when they take over the Justice League title JLA in the mid 90s. And when you get to that Batman, it's the Batman who's hyper logical. Their superpower is strategy. You know, they have a, a contingency plan for every possible, you know, bad thing that could happen. So this is where we see Morrison sort of evolving the character to that point where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can eventually see a Batman who, who almost is superhuman in their ability to plan. And the idea of that victory is in the preparation, the Batman in JLA who actually has a secret file of how to defeat all the other members of the justice league, just in case they ever go crazy, just in mm-hmm. case I need to, you know, it's like that sort of hyper logical version of Batman is already, the seeds of that is already in this story. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like they have, he has to get there, you know? So I think, the reason I wanted to read these two books to start off this series was to sort of show how Morrison is constantly evolving that character and making Batman go through these cycles of, um, you know, self-acknowledgement and almost like rituals to get more evolved. Like he's leveling up as the stories go on, so to speak, you know? Definitely. Definitely. So, yeah, um, I will say very briefly, I really like Klaus Janssen's artwork in this in this book. It does. It's clunky at times, but, mm-hmm. you know, Klaus Janssen is better known for being an inker, I think. Obviously, like probably best known for inking Dark Knight Returns and basically almost every comic, major comic that came out in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but to actually see his pencils and inks, it's very it's almost jarring because, you know, he's one of those inkers who his influence is put onto the stuff he inks. You know, he's not inking. He's, he's changing the artwork that he inks. You know what I mean? Usually yeah. for the better, but to actually just see his pure artwork. I really liked it. It's very spooky at times. He does a good job capturing the supernatural elements. And uh, one of my favorite panels in the story is, um, there's a moment where, you know, Thomas Wayne goes to get Bruce, uh, from the boarding school and bring him back home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you get the moment where uh, Bruce says, I'll never forget that night. And it's, you see Thomas Wayne saying, Hey, to celebrate Bruce coming home, let's go see a movie tonight. And then in the <laughs> foreground, 
you see like a toy train set and there's yeah. like a shadow of a figure on the train set and the shadow being cast looks like the character's like hiding in the shadow holding a gun. And it's like such a, a simple evocative way to say like, oh yeah, this is how his parents are killed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not subtle, but it's, you don't have to see, you know, pearls falling to the pavement in a pool of blood <laughs> to get the, the, you know, to find, know what happened. It's like, right. yep, this is it, folks. This is the same night. So, right. I mean, if moments the pearls like that, don't fall to the ground, did it actually happen? You know, like that's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, moments like that, I think Jansen is a very, very effective comic book artist, but, yeah. you know, it's his artwork is very loose at times in this book. And for me, it's effective. I can see maybe readers uh, familiar with more contemporary Batman comics, it might look a little clunky at times. Yeah, the the art feels a little dated, but I don't think that it's like consistently bad i think there's just like it feels like there are pages where there was less effort put in and i know that that's me being real real scummy about comic art right there (laughs) but also like there, like some of the stuff that i that i put in our notes here right like unbelievably wonderful pages and panels um but then there are some pages where it's like man that's really scratchy really like it's 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 interesting because you can see that Jansen really loves to do ink work, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's all over this entire book, like tons of really well done, like inked pages. Um, but every once in a while, just their pencils are not at that same level. Uh, it's yeah. kind of a shame because I think that while the book is still very good from end to end, I think the overall story can suffer um, from page to page, um, mm-hmm. depending on which, like there was one page in particular that I didn't put in our notes here that I screen capped was like, um, there's like a woman yelling and it's like a big third of the page or like or sixth of the page i should say and it just yeah. looks really roughly drawn and then the next page is very beautiful and i'm like <laughs> that's it's such a shame um but you know sometimes also this is the 90s so people are working at you know bare or breakneck speeds to try yeah. to get these comics out so i really can't fault anybody for that right um yeah but um, but again i think when jansen hits like it's it is some superb batman comics that's for sure yeah. All of the splash pages are great, you know, because it's yes. Um, you know, I have the I have the single issues, but I did borrow it digitally to read, and like they mm-hmm. did that annoying thing that I hate, where they don't actually put the chapter breaks in the collected digital edition. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's like, but I know which pages are the splash pages at the end of the issues, and it's mm-hmm. like those hit so hard. Like that scene where Batman sees the upside down bat signal in the sky, oh. such a beautiful page. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I, I think we've. There's still more to uncover in these comics. I think we're just kind of offering our little takes, uh, sort of the bigger themes of them. And I kind of want to make draw some connections between these comics and the comics we're reading for the rest of the series. I've already hinted at this idea that Morrison has Batman go through cycles of going under, you know, sort of understanding themselves. Um, later on, he'll Batman will literally go through death rituals where they sort of both spiritually and literally die and come back and be reborn. So it's mm-hmm. that's already happening in these books. You know, this idea of rebirth, um, sort of going under, acknowledging in Arkham Asylum, acknowledging their own uh, their own issues, and then in Gothic, acknowledging a repressed memory from their past. Mm-hmm. Um, in and in doing that, like I said, kind of leveling up and becoming more self assured as it goes on. And there's also like elements that will come back again. I think the relationship between Batman and the Joker we see in Arkham Asylum definitely comes back when the Joker shows up in RIP, mm-hmm. which will be in a couple episodes. And Mr. Whisper really feels like a like a a dry run 
for the character Dr. Hurt, which will show up in RIP. Hmm. Another character who has a almost supernatural sort of vibe to them and a connection to Bruce's past. So it's almost like Morrison. Morrison is definitely a creator that comes back to the same ideas over and over again in their work. And it's mm-hmm. already here in their Batman work where you see them introducing concepts that they're going to come back to and unpack and go in more depth. So it really, it really helps to start with these issues, I think, before Definitely. we get to the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, if if I could make a, a summation of these two books for myself, I mean, just be, I mean, I'm not going to be on the rest, of the, not on every episode for the rest of the series, but um, I am looking forward to reading the rest of the stuff uh, to see how they tie back to these stories or at least tie into like a, a through line of some kind. Um, <clears throat> but the thing I took away from these two books was uh, it feels like Morrison likes to make a mythos. You know, mm-hmm. like if you yeah. think about Arkham, um, if you think about Mr. Whisper, um, he excuse me, they like to basically tell a story that uh, establishes itself in the past in a in like some sort of perpetuity where like this thing has existed for a long time. These evils have been uh, Mm -hmm. a a constant in the world and it wasn't until now that they could be quelled, right? Like only the Batman can fight back (laughs) and solve these mysteries. And I don't think that that's trying to put like Batman up on this, this pedestal to say that they could do it. But I do think it's interesting that we saw in both of these books, we got like flashback hundred years, flashback 300 years. Um, These stories, these, this evil is building this, this bad thing is happening. And it's not until they intersected with Batman that they were able to be stopped. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Arkham thing I think is more of a metaphorical evil, right? Um, Yeah. (laughs) But the Mr. Whisper thing being like he's been around for 300 years, just kind of mucking about causing all sorts of problems. And it's not (laughs) until he really runs into Batman, who is ready to put put away evil at any cost or put away evildoers at any cost um, that he really meets his match. So um, I, I like that we get to see that in two stories happening side by side and. Also, like, I think if you continue to read uh, Morrison's stories, I think you'll see that that's actually kind of a commonality where they'll they'll flash back and do something. And I don't want to say that it's like a trope or like a a crutch or anything, because I don't think that it is. I think Mm -hmm. some people would say that. Um, But I do think it's interesting that Morrison continuously comes back to that idea of establishing these long standing things that are then finding their way to the present in such a way that like they end up being parallels for the characters the stories are about. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I really like that in both of these stories, and I'm trying to think of how that because I think that all, it also comes up kind of in like Animal Man. It kind of, kind of comes up in uh, Doom Patrol. Like they do yeah. this thing over and over, but it's it's interesting that how how it happened in Batman because I think reading two stories in a row where it happened, um, it's it's I don't know. It feels like a smart way to establish a mythos to come up to what I think you're going to discover as you read through all these books, like them trying to have this final say about Batman, mm-hmm. which. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you already know this, Paul, but I think yeah. that, you know, as as someone who's approaching most of these comics for the first time, it's really cool to kind of see that start here. And I know that it yeah. only gets better because I read a handful of the books that come later in this series. So, <laughs> I mean, you at least know at one point Batman literally shoots a god of evil in the face with yes, a space gun. So, that's I mean, true. It's, it's, it's not exactly subtle. The idea of yeah. Batman always confronting a sort of uh, uh, the idea, it, it, it becomes the idea of evil versus the idea of Batman. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. At, at certain yeah. points, pretty literally. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm uh, speaking of, you know, the series to come. What, one thing I'd like to do as we go through this is kind of keep track of a few things 
that are recurring ideas. Um, obviously, that's going to be most of the discussion, but a few things specifically that I think Morrison does throughout their Batman run. So we have a little segment here where we'll kind of recap some of those things. Um, there's not a whole lot in these initial stories, but there'll be more as we go through uh, the main Batman run. The first one I'm calling Holy Flashback Batman, which are specific references to Silver Age Batman stories. That becomes way more prevalent in the next couple episodes, um, mm-hmm. so be ready for that. I think in this these stories, the only things we really get are the Batplane and that sort of Rube Goldberg death trap in Gothic. <laughs> Those feel very specifically like references to Silver Age Batman stories. Oh, sure. You know? Oh, sure. So. So Definitely more again, Morrison saying like all that stuff still counts. You know, we can do uh-huh. this dark, brooding, supernatural horror version of Batman, but that stuff's still there. Like it's always right. in the background. So right, right. Again, that'll be more explicit. There actually are specific Silver Age stories that Morrison draws from for for later stories. Um, I also want to keep track of the food in these stories. So we're going to Alfred's kitchen again. Not a whole lot here. I don't think there's really anything in Arkham other than the salt that they put around Arkham you know, as a type of magical ritual, mm-hmm. right? But in Gothic, we have a reference. Batman tells Alfred, Alfred to cancel the Peking duck that they ordered, which is a very weird line. <laughs> Such right? an absurd meal to have ordered in bed. <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't tell if that's a joke or not. The, the relationship between uh, Batman and Alfred in that book is great because Alfred is so droll and dry mm-hmm. and condescending at times, you know? Um, it's great. I feel that might be a little, uh, a little joke between them, inside joke that maybe we're getting. But more explicitly, there's a point where Alfred makes sandwiches for him and Batman, and they're eating lunch together in the Batcave. And that mm-hmm. is like one of my favorite moments in any Batman story. It It is nice to see Alfred like being a butler and i know yeah. i know that's weird to say but it's yeah. like i feel like in in most modern batman books and stories that i've read it's like alfred is just this he's the oracle right he's the he's right. the person at home at the home base <clears throat> who's just prepping batman for the next thing um it's nice to see like he's just like hey uh, i'm here making you sandwiches dude stop being stop getting yourself killed you know he's he's the <laughs> batman that i think we see more in the movies um yeah. Than, than what we see in the modern comics. Well, it's great too, because in that scene, you kind of see the more father-son relationship where you, yeah. I've always read that as Alfred still see Bruce Wayne, still sees Bruce as a scared eight-year-old boy, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're living out this fantasy of trying to do something to stop, you know, the tragedy that happened to him. Mm-hmm. And, while they're eating these sandwiches, Batman's explaining the background of, you know, what he's going to go to Germany to, like, find out. It's like he's explaining the plot of the comic, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Alfred just kind of nodding along. is like, okay, yes, and? You know, it's the father or parent listening to the child play make-believe and tell a story. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, okay, and then what? All right, and then what? It's like, it's a really touching moment, you know, yeah. in, this, in this story. And again, it involves food. And I think we'll see more examples of uh, food as these comics go on for some reason or another. And then um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. another thing that happens more explicitly later on is Morrison introduces Batman saying, huh, HH <laughs> as an exclamation. Is that how you pronounce that? Because I always pronounce it as more of a, huh, like, or like a, <laughs> like a grunt almost. I guess, I guess it's open to interpretation. I've always read it as a, huh, like a, hmm. you know, like a more gut, yeah, maybe guttural, but guttural. More a, yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't show up until the JLA run in 97 that Morrison uh, Morrison writes. So we don't 
give that here. Um, side note, if you are curious, on Twitter, Chris Burnham has been tracking this for years on their Twitter account. So you can actually go and they'll have the panels starting in JLA in 97 with the first utterance of, so you can go find it there. Amazing. Uh, So with that being said, Mike, I think this will can kind of include the first episode of a better Batmobile. I I, I think uh, hopefully you found it interesting enough to keep reading along with this stuff. I, I'm so jazzed to get the <laughs> official Paul Jaceley reading order for Grant Morrison's Batman. You have no idea how excited I was when wow. you sent over that doc. So um, <laughs> I, regardless, if we were doing this show, uh, I was going to read all these books anyway. So I very much look forward to following along as you guys record the episodes and uh, I get to listen to them in advance and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really fun. Uh, and I hope yeah. everyone at home checks this, is excited about this as well. This is going to be a really, really cool series. Um, that schedule that you have planned, like, again, check that out in the show notes. <laughs> it's killer comics. As I, as someone yeah. who's read some of these books, like, we've got a fucking amazing thing coming. So I'm very excited. Yeah, well, me too. Again, I've not reread a lot of this stuff since it came out. So, and again, they're pretty important books to me personally. So yeah, I'm very excited to deep dive into them. So again, um, I want to say special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. You made this show happen. It's because of your support. We can do these bonus sort of miniseries and episodes. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, word of mouth is the best promotional tool that podcasts have. So if you enjoyed this series or any other of our shows, please tell your fellow Batman fans and comic book fans about it. We'd really appreciate that. I want to say a special thank you to Brian McRae, who did the incredible artwork for this series. I love it so much. Thank you. Thank you for that. Infinity Shred is the best band in the known universe, and they do all of the music for our shows. Xander is basically like our Alfred, working tirelessly behind the scenes to make sure everything works. Uh, he also lives in a cave. <laughs> I want to say thank you, Mike, for joining me today. Uh, and thank you, the listeners, for uh, tuning in. Until next time, remember, comics are good criminals are a superstitious cowardly lot and i am the king of hell